As I was, uh, as I was leaving work on Friday, as I was leaving the office, somebody said to me, Happy Father's Day, David. Have a great weekend. What? How? Really? I'm a dad? It, it hadn't hit me yet. It hadn't sunk in yet. It's still very new. I don't see, maybe Garrett's back here today, but he knows exactly how this feels, being a new dad. I, I myself am a child in so many ways. I don't quite understand how I can be a dad to another human. But God works miracles. I don't have, to be quite honest, very high expectations for my first Father's Day. My daughter's eight months old. You know, I feel like she's totally going to drop the ball today. I don't, it's, it's 11.30. She hasn't even said Happy Father's Day yet. And the best predictor of future performance it's past performance, and I can just tell you her Mother's Day performance was abysmal. It was embarrassing. No effort whatsoever. So I think she's totally going to drop the ball. You know, she's probably not even going to make me lunch, potato salad, ham sandwich. That's all Dad asked for. Maybe, maybe just a, some kind of homemade card with some subpar art. I don't ask for much, but I'm not going to get my hopes up on this first Father's Day. It's not easy to be a dad. I realize there are some rules to being a dad. If you had any fashion sense before you were a dad, it's gone now. You have to suddenly care meticulously about your yard, about your lawn. Dads, we have the duty of cleaning up after our wife and kids when they don't finish their plate, and you have to eat all that food. Dads, we can no longer take naps. We just rest our eyes, right? Who else says that? And worst of all, we tell horrible jokes. I think I had a head start at this, but dads, we tell terrible jokes. And we always think they're funny and no one else does. Dad jokes. They can have a really profound impact. They can leave a lasting impression. Check this out. As a Father's Day special for you here at Echo, I, am, I have conveniently packed in my sermon this morning five dad jokes. All right, so listen for them. Look, this, I totally trust God is big enough, the Spirit's going to move still through this, but I want you to listen for, count them, five different dad jokes in the sermon that you will see today. And God, please do not abandon us this morning. (laughs) Aside from the, from the dad jokes, one actual characteristic that we're going to talk about that dads have today is dads are protectors. God calls dads to be protectors. We protect our wives and our family. And of course, when I think of Jesus, I think of a protector. Jesus was always looking out for the marginalized. Jesus was always there for the easy prey in the society. He was always looking out for the neglected. That was Jesus. And think about this. Earlier in the year, we studied the the story about the adulterous woman who was caught in adultery and publicly they brought her here and she was going to be stoned to death. Remember that? And then Jesus came and he saw the pious men and he said, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let He who was without sin throw the first stone, and they all walked away. Jesus rescued that woman in that moment. Jesus is a protector. The next thing I think about is is a story of Mark 10. Jesus' fame had spread all over the area at this point. People were coming from all over the place to come see him. And a lot of times they brought their kids. They brought their children to come see Jesus. And the disciples didn't really like this. They stepped up and said, hey, hey, enough with the kids. Stop bringing the kids around here. Do you remember what Jesus did? The scripture said he was indignant. He said, no, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. 
The kingdom of God belongs to these. Jesus, the protector. Maybe the most famous example comes from Matthew 8. Jesus is on the boat with the disciples on the lake. The storm's coming. The waves and the wind are picking up. It's treacherous. The boat could capsize. They feel that it's a perilous situation. What does Jesus do? Well, he's napping first. But when they wake him up, Jesus rebukes the waves and the wind. The storm stops. You have little faith. Jesus was there. He is a protector. So we see Jesus, God in the New Testament, as a protector. Do we see God of the Old Testament in the same way? This is the series. Jesus B.C., We're not crazy, we're talking two testaments, one God. You can see the same characteristics. The key to the Old Testament is seeing Jesus there, God's full character on display. God of the Old Testament is a protector, and that's what we will investigate today. And before we do that, let's ask God to be present. God, Father God, we know you're present here today. We know you're in this place, God. We we come together Slow us down, God, so that we can worship you. We've come to worship you on this day. We thank you for being our Father and for modeling the traits that we should have as a parent, God. Protect us, your children. Give us the courage to be bold. And Spirit, move in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. So today we will be reading from the book of Habakkuk. It's a tiny little book in the, in the uh, Old Testament. In the Blue Bibles, you will find it on 662. So if you're following along, 662 in the Blue Bibles. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little background uh, about Habakkuk. This little book is three chapters only, and it basically breaks down to this. Two questions and a prayer. Two questions and a prayer. Habakkuk has a question for God. Habakkuk the prophet questions God. God responds, Habakkuk has another question for God. God responds. And then Habakkuk's prayer is what we'll see toward the end. So we're tuning in to Judah, the southern kingdom, during a time of real sin, devastation, depravity. Habakkuk is so frustrated and downtrodden because his own people are involved with this stuff. God's own people are so wicked, the world seems so hopeless, and... That's nothing we can relate to right now, right? No, this, uh, this story that we're going to read today in this book is so relevant. It speaks to us with the same relevance and same sincerity, sincerity that Habakkuk spoke to Judah at that time. Because we have all kinds of things going on in the world right now. I mean, it's not fair to start to list a few because how could you name them? I'm, you, I think about ISIS. Of course, that comes to mind. It seems like every week there's something new going on there just to look at the news and figure out what's happened. And, and I, I especially think it, it rocks you in a certain different way when you, when you learned about the, the tragedy uh, where there were, there were a bunch of teenage girls, basically, and they tried to figure out how to murder as many of them as possible. Full-blown racism exists in 2017. In our country, we don't have to go far at all. It's right here. People hate other people and, and are violent toward them because of the color of their skin. Today in 2017, it's not just that, it's different political beliefs, different sexual orientations. We live in a time right now that is devastating. We can see evil all around us. So is the world darker today than it used to be? Are we in a spot now that 
where we look back in the past and say, wow, things were better back then. No, (laughs) no, the answer is no. We just can see it easier today. The news transpires right in front of us. We're no stranger to any of this because we can see it unfold. The only thing that's different between the past and now is different proper nouns, different places, different people. Evil is all around us. And so Habakkuk's message to Judah 2,600 years ago speaks to us in the same way. And this is where we'll start. We're going to jump through this a little bit. But we'll start with Habakkuk chapter 1 with the first four verses. Larry, can you read those for us? The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Thank you. Yes, this is Habakkuk's lament in the beginning to God, in the book. And in the, in the first verse, look at this, it says, as you read, it said the oracle that the prophet received. Some Bibles probably say the prophecy that the prophet received. A better word that actually follows the Hebrew, the Hebrew word is masah, and that means burden, burden. So not, not necessarily the prophecy or the oracle, the burden that Habakkuk was carrying. He was feeling a weight. He was, he was feeling the heaviness of this whole situation weighing down on him. And I love this because it's honest. It's so honest, it's a raw complaint to God, and it's included in the scriptures. Habakkuk saw all this devastation and depravity in the world, and he was questioning God's sovereignty through it. God, do you see what is happening all around here right now? Where are you? Why aren't you listening? Where are you through this? What do we do with that? How do you allow this to happen? This isn't the only place in the Bible that we see this, though. We see this in Psalm for, Psalms, for example, and Psalm 74 is actually maybe the best example that mirrors what Habakkuk's crying out here. And this psalm actually wasn't written by David. This was written by Asaph. This was David's musical director in Solomon's temple. Do you remember where Solomon's temple is located? Right? It's the side of his head. There's one. Okay, Psalm 74, verse 1. We'll put that up here right now. Asaph says this, O God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? And then verses 10 and 11, same psalm. How long will the enemy mock you, God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. Remember Jacob wrestling with God all night? The scriptures record that. Do you remember Job, finally, after so much suffering, challenging God? So many of the people in the Bible, Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, even Jesus on the cross, as Rob was talking about in communion. Father, why have you forsaken me? How did the Holy Spirit allow these things to make it into the Bible? Wouldn't it have just been easier if we just pretended like we didn't have this kind of stuff? Why did the Bible include these parts? I believe it's because this. This is what real faith looks like. If you believe that having faith in Jesus was about no doubts, no questioning at any time, I don't know what Bible you're reading. I don't know who you're listening to. 
I'm looking at this, and I see people constantly coming to God. God, why? What is going on here? Where are you? Show up. I need you. This is what real faith looks like. God invites us to wrestle with him. And this is where Habakkuk is. And and last, God answers. What does God say? We're going to roll through a few of these passages pretty quickly here, so keep your Bible open. But Larry, can you pick up on chapter 1, verses 5 through 7? Look what God says to Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Yes. All right, are you following this here? God is about to use the Babylonians for judgment. Habakkuk is calling for judgment. God is about to use the Babylonians the, literally the worst people on the face of the earth at this time. They, on, their, on their war path, they would plunder resources, take prisoners, and then they would give all the glory to false idols. This is who God is going to work through. And Habakkuk, he was complaining about his own people, the people of God, of the southern kingdom. They were nowhere near as bad as the Babylonians here, yet God answers. Maybe not the way Habakkuk thinks, but God says, okay, I'm going to take care of this. I will call down the Babylonians. There's no way the Babylonians should be the ones to bring judgment on Judah, but they are. I told you we were going to jump back in fast. Habakkuk, again, hearing this response from God, he's got a few questions. God, please explain this to me. And so we'll see what Habakkuk says, verses 12 and 13, still in chapter 1. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Yes, perfect. Again, hold there for a second, but look at this. Not once, but twice, Habakkuk is saying, God, where are you in this? We see all this devastation and this death and this evil and darkness around us. Where are you? God says, okay, I'll bring in the Babylonians. We'll bring judgment. Why would, I don't understand, God. Why do you, why do you not rescue your people from this wicked army? This isn't how you should operate. And in chapter 2, God responds again to the prophet, okay? So we've looked at the first question, God's response, Habakkuk's second question, and here's where God comes in again. This is from chapter 2, so we're jumping to the next chapter. And Larry, if you can read verses 2 through verses 4, this is God's response. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Yes, so God is telling Habakkuk, hey, there will come a time when I won't let this happen. There will come a time where evil won't seem to prevail over good. It's not right now. 
but you need to just be patient. Trust in me. Wait on the Lord. God is good. I will show up. Be patient. Okay, let's be patient. Let's trust in him. Good? Does that feel good? That's all we have to do. We're horrible at being patient. Humans are just, I am terrible at being patient. Here's a, here's a test for you. As you're leaving here this morning and you're going to lunch or something, on Macmillan or Madison, however you're going to go home, when you stop at a red light, just stop there for a second. Wait till a car comes behind you. And when the light turns green, just hold on your brake for a minute. Just keep on your brake and tell me if humans are patient. No, no, they're not. The line is so long at the, at the Kenwood Starbucks, kind of near where I live, I have this, this Jewish friend that swears, I am never going back to that Starbucks. I'm just going to make all my coffee at home. And you ask, how does he do it? He brews it. That's number two. So why is it so hard to wait for God through all this evil? Why is it hard to wait on God? I think it's really for two reasons. Number one is, we don't know how long we're waiting. How long am I supposed to wait, God? Anybody who's had a guess at when the Lord is going to come back in judgment They've been wrong. <laughs> Do you remember that whole Mayan calendar thing a while back? That was fun. Every single person who's taken a guess has been wrong about when God will return. We just don't know. And you know, everything is better and easier when we know how long something's going to take. This is human behavior type stuff. But even if we're going to be waiting a long time, you give us a countdown and we do better with it. That's why we like Uber. We can tell when the Uber's going to show up. That's... That's why when we're on a plane, we love to be able to see when we're going to arrive, the flight tracker. Even now, when you call some service companies and they don't answer and it says, um, due to unusual call volume, your expected wait time can be 9 to 13 minutes. And, you know, it's always unusual call volume. But just to say, we do so much better when we know how long we're waiting. We do. And we don't know how long we're waiting on God. That's why we struggle with this. That's why it's hard to just say, wait on the Lord. It'll be fine. The second reason why I think it's so hard for us to wait on God through times of trial is because of something called the prosperity gospel. Uh, That's not the gospel we preach here at Echo, but unfortunately, a lot of our, our church brothers and sisters, whether they know it or not, are subscribing and promoting this prosperity gospel that somewhere God says, I want you to live a great life that you're enjoying right now. This is what I have for you. Is God really saying that to us? Call on God and he'll give you exactly what you want. I don't know if I'm reading that anywhere. And whenever I hear this kind of stuff, I always go straight to the disciples, to the people who followed Jesus while he was here. Because I don't think they enjoyed a prosperity gospel. Look at how it ended for most of them. Everyone but one of them died a brutal, horrible death. And John, the one that was spared the brutal death, oh, it was just solitary exile until he lived out his life and died. You know, as a side note too, that is one of the greatest testaments to Jesus' death and resurrection is that these men who were close to him all were willing to die horrible deaths. And most of them were in a place where they said, deny Jesus and you can go. None of them did. But I just still somehow think we take a tiny piece of scripture and we extract it from its context, right? So, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. We've all heard this. What does it mean to you? Have we maybe taken that out of context? All I want to ask is, with, with Thomas toward the end of his life, four soldiers charging at him with spears, what if he was repeating that from Jeremiah in his head? 
God has plans, a hope for me in a future. No, not on this life. No, that wouldn't work there. Peter, as he's about to be crucified and he's attached to this cross, what if he's repeating this? God has plans for me, hope in a future. This isn't the end for me. Yeah, it was. Peter was crucified. He requested upside down because he said, I am not worthy to die in the same way that my Lord did. We take them out of context sometimes. See, God is always faithful and he never fails us. But that promise that he gave us was not just meant to cover us in this life. I think we, we, we don't give God enough credit. Our window is too short when we look at God's promise to be faithful to us. We, we, we might not want to suffer and face all these difficult times in life, but true faith means actually trusting God beyond just this lifetime and well past it, sometimes even into death. That is the reality of it, and that's why it's hard for us to be patient. Now, let me be clear, though. I, I, make, I need to make sure that I say this. In the Scripture, we see countless times people call on the Lord. He shows up, and he delivers them from that exact thing, from that trouble, delivering them from whatever it is. And he does that in our lives. And we've heard stories, and it's happened where, you know, I'm calling on God, please, you know, help this diagnosis not be what I, what I think it could be. And, and God, help us to be able to keep the house. And, you know, God, help us to... Help our kids to be, you know, healthy. And God answers. And you see that, and God, it's an answer prayer right there. So we know God works like that. I don't want to miss that at all. And God will continue to work like that. But because God is God, and his ways are different than our ways, sometimes our prayers don't get answered the way that we wish they did. Sometimes they don't. Our vantage point is like standing here on this stage and looking down. And God would be peering over the moon to see the whole picture. That doesn't even do it justice. We don't see the whole picture. That's hard to wrestle with. That's hard to wrestle with. But we need to remember that he will restore us. And sometimes when the waves crash over us or in that moment of trial or maybe even a year after or throughout your life, you might still be asking the question, God, why? Why did you let that happen to the person I love? You know, why, why didn't you see me through this trial that I had? God, where were you when this, fill in the blank? Sometimes we're going we're gonna to still ask that in our lives. But in Habakkuk's prophecy, and over and over again in the scriptures, we are reminded that God never leaves us, that he cares for us, and that his promise is good beyond just this lifetime. Beyond just this lifetime. Sometimes in the, present trial, in, in the present trials, it goes for us how it went for David. You remember in one of the Psalms, David said, uh, I called on you, Lord. You heard me and you delivered me from my fears. Sometimes he does that. And then sometimes we call on the Lord and the Babylonians still sack the city. And God will restore us later. It, it happens both ways. But do you know, God will eventually restore us. And when we think about the Babylonians, do you remember who was leading the Babylonians? A guy named Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, someone thought it would be a good idea to name their kid Nebuchadnezzar. Not, I don't think that's a very smart move. Do you know who the smartest man in the Bible was? It was Abraham. He knew a lot. Three. Nebuchadnezzar may sound familiar to you because we hear about him in another book. 
We hear about them in another book. Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar comes up there. Because there haven't been enough fun names this morning, we'll introduce a few more. Have you heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Maybe you have. There was a decree in the land at this time under King Nebuchadnezzar that said, hey, when you hear the flute or the horn play, you got to fall down on the ground, prostrate, and you have to worship this golden image that I've had constructed. That's, that was what you had to do or you will be burned to death. That was the rule. It's a deadly musical chairs. And these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't go for it. They say, I'm not worshiping this you know, piece of material. I, we worship the God of Israel. I worship the one true God. I will not do this. I don't care what the punishment is, is what these men said. And King Nebuchadnezzar, true to his word, said, all right, the furnace for you. I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And let me read to you how these three men responded. It's Daniel three sixteen through 18. Here is their response. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They said, listen, king, no matter what evil you have planned for us, we don't care because God is perfectly capable of rescuing us from it. If our God wants to, he will pluck us right out of this situation and deliver us from this very trial that you're putting on us. If God wants to, he will. But he might not. The honesty there with these three. You know, but he might choose not to rescue us. They said, God might let us go into death. And if he does, we want you to know, king, that we still choose him over your fake gods. We will not bow down. We will not comply because there is one true God. And we know that even through death. Even through death, we see that. So back in Habakkuk, verse 4 is considered the great text. The final sentence in this verse, in this tiny book, is quoted all over the New Testament. A lot of people attribute this to Paul because we see it in Romans, we see it in Galatians. The righteous shall live by faith. And faithfulness even sometimes through doubt. Where else do we see this? We see this Martin Luther. Martin Luther was actually voted man of the millennium. That is a real award. From 1000 AD to 2000 AD, man of the millennium, Martin Luther. Why? Well, I can't capture it all, but basically he rejected the, the, these Catholic teachings and kind of spurned the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther can be credited with that. His battle cry for that whole thing, his, his vision came from this verse in Habakkuk. But the righteous shall live by their faithfulness, even sometimes through doubt. So when Habakkuk heard God's response to this plea, there's more that we don't have time to read, but when, when Habakkuk heard from the Lord and how great God was and how he was worthy to be worshiped and how faithful he was, Habakkuk responded with this final prayer. And this is the, the last scripture that we'll read uh, here together. But this is Habakkuk's, a piece, an excerpt 
of Habakkuk's final prayer. Read the whole thing when you get a chance because it's beautiful. Larry, can you read uh, Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19? Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Yes. Okay, so in these final three verses that Larry read, there are three takeaways, and actually they line up well with the verses. So in verse 17, this is the message here. Sin always has negative consequences. Sin always has negative consequences. It says, though the fig tree does not bud, and lists a few other things. In the beginning, the land was meant to be bountiful, plentiful. Look, in Deuteronomy, this is one of the ways that God blessed the people. When we rebelled, we invited darkness into the situation. When we run from God, we're also running from our provider and our protector. So it's Father's Day, and in the spirit of honoring the dads in our lives, we we look at all the great things that they've done for us. In in, in a more honest look, in, in a complete picture of this, we also know, too, that there can be some damage done, done by dads. And I, I, I mean, I don't mean like sin that carries down your paying for your, I don't, father's sin, I don't mean that. I mean that the influence that our parents can have on us can cause us to go astray sometimes. And we see this in our behavior. You see this in, in several different examples, too, in the Bible. Except Joshua. You don't see it with Joshua because he didn't have any parents. Remember it said Joshua is the son of none. Number four. Two, God has a limitless supply of joy. Verse 18. So sin has consequences in 17. Verse 18, God has a limitless supply of joy. It says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You can't always rejoice in your circumstances, but you can always rejoice in God. You can. Jubilation even through desolation. Do you remember the, the series we just did, hopefully, A Beautiful Mind, where we looked at Philippians, and Paul wrote that thing from where? <laughs> prison. A Roman prison. And the message was, be joyful in all things. We can. There's a limitless supply that God offers us despite our circumstances. God gives us strength to make it through the trials. That's number three. When you look at verse 19, Larry read it. You give me the feet of a deer so I can tread on the heights. God is our strength. God gives us strength through the trials. Did you notice Habakkuk's mention of strength is in direct contrast to the strength that Nebuchadnezzar had. Nebuchadnezzar had this huge army that he could count. He had all these materials. He had resources. And through it all, he worshiped himself. God, direct contrast, Habakkuk presents, doesn't store up all the treasures here. He goes way beyond this. The Babylonians were going to be wiped out by Cyrus anyway. God will never not reign. He stands on his throne forever. Direct contrast from Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord will always reign. I didn't mean to leave you hanging with the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it's, it's too long to put up on the screen. So if you'll listen to me, I'll try to, I'll try to read this clearly here. What happens to these guys? They come up there. Remember, they refuse to worship. I'm not going to bow down to your fake gods. 
I worship the God of Israel, the one true God. The king says, all right, furnace for you guys. Hop in the furnace. And now I'm going to pick up where we left off here as we close this morning. So, 19 through 27, Daniel chapter 3. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied together into the furnace. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, and I think there's a a piece of artwork up here that tries to capture some of this, but Nebuchadnezzar says, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. Yeah, there were three. King Nebuchadnezzar said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors, they crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire even on them. Here's our message this morning. God is our protector. We see Jesus protecting in the New Testament. We see God as a protector, as our dad in the Old Testament, seeing us through the trials. Life is hard. We still feel the weight, the burden of this broken world every single day. Between the time we're meeting right now on this Father's Day and next Sunday, there's going to be something else to talk about. Are you prepared for it? There's going to be something else that's going to happen and probably weigh our hearts down. Here's what we need to know. God doesn't just kind of empathize with us. He knows exactly how it feels. The scripture said he, his son emptied himself to join us here. And he was delivered over into this broken world and eventually killed by it. But just as the great prophet Habakkuk said, and just as Paul said in Romans and Galatians, just as the writer of Hebrews said, just as Martin Luther said, just as tons of Christians before us said, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by their faithfulness. On this Father's Day, let's rejoice, let's be thankful for our heavenly dad who's come before us, who loved us so much despite all of our sin that he allowed his son to come down here and protect us, protect us from what we deserved. He sent his son so that we could dwell with him long past the blazing furnace, whether it takes us or not, long past the ups and downs in life, but so that we could dwell with our heavenly dad forever. 
That's the, that's the message. The righteous shall live by faith. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your faithfulness. You have modeled what it looks like to never leave. You had plenty of opportunities to do it, God, to leave us, and you never did. We thank you for giving us these real people that we read about in the scriptures who demonstrated that faith too. Even through death, God, where can we run from you? We can't. You are always there to see us through. The question we have, God, how can we live in that realization? Make us more bold every single day. Change our hearts, Lord, to see past this temporal existence here in the greater kingdom existence that you have and that you've called all the people who believe in you. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. We thank you, our Heavenly Father. Amen.